This is Andy Perua for Boxing Social in association with Betfred. And I'm delighted to be joined by Tommy Boom Boom Coyle over Zoom. Tommy, first and foremost, how are you doing? I'm very well. I'm good. I'm, um, I won't say enjoying the retired life because I miss it goddamn every single minute of every single day. But I'm content. I'm happy. That's good to hear, mate. Well, obviously, we, um, we'll come on to retirement and retired life in a little while. But as we are in currently in lockdown, I've asked everybody who I've interviewed so far, how have you found it yourself? Do you know what? I try and look at every situation like a glass half full as opposed to half empty. And, you know, it's not ideal. All my businesses have been closed down because, you know, I'm in the health and well-being industry and you, the gyms, you know, are not allowed to, to be open. But on the flip side, I've spent so much time at home with my three children, my wife, and um, it's been good. Hello. 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 Yeah, I was just saying, I don't know where we go to then before we got cut off, but just to say, Glass half full as opposed to half empty. I spent tons of time with my children and my wife and it's been it's been real nice. Yeah, I was gonna say like I can imagine kind of lockdowns maybe changed and altered your retirement plans quite significantly because you, you may may not have been able to do the things you'd have liked to have done. Yeah, for sure. Um I'd like to have gone away on holiday because I've not got to be in the training camp and I've got you know, more time, but it's allowed me to really um, think and allow me to um, look at my, my business, um, you know, in more in depth. And uh, we've had a, you know, a good three, four months of innovating. We've actually just opened three outdoor gyms. So, you know, towards the back end of lockdown, I've managed to get busy again. And I've innovated and, and I think we've, we've elevated the business during lockdown, ready to, to rock and roll when the government give us the nod. You obviously, you know, you have had a successful boxing career, which I'm sure in itself would have given you the chance to set yourself up financially away from what you're doing on the side. But one thing that is always told to me about you and one thing Jamie's always pushing is you've been very clever with your money to set up these businesses. How important has it been for yourself to to set up what you have done to keep a, a kind of a, a stream of revenue coming in for you, for your household? It's extremely important. Everybody has a shelf life and it's extremely important for, for any young fighters that might be watching this Zoom call today to, to, you know, to think about what's next, the next chapter, um, a plan B. And I was very mindful that I wasn't the best fighter in the world. I was entertaining, yeah but I wasn't the greatest fighter in the world. And the way I fought had a shelf life, you know, um, and I needed something to fall back on when I retired because I was always going to have to retire probably much earlier than other fighters or other some uh, fighters may have to because of my style of fighting. And I just knew that I'd built up a whole very small place and because I'd done, you know, reasonably reasonably well i managed to build a brand and um 
I knew that if I built a business while I was still on the shelf and I could kind of juggle both of them together, um, the business would get the, the, um, the acceleration whilst I was fighting because of the brand enhancement and the association and more kids didn't want to walk through the gym doors because I always seemed to be training there and other fighters and other sparring partners was coming. So I, they kind of, you know, bounced off one another. And, um, albeit, you know, when I retired, I'd, I'd built over the last five years a, a good business for me to, you know, jump on board with when I retired. Because, you know, when you retire, it's, it's such a, a tough call to make. And I probably knew a couple of months after my last fight with Chris Algeri that I would have to retire. But, you know, it took me eight months to announce because it was a roller coaster of emotions um, coming to that decision. And I like to think of it like this. If you stay still when you retire, it's going to hit you like a ton of bricks. It's like, say, for instance, if you're still still in a car hits you, it's going to hit twice as much. But if you can keep moving, it kind of ricochets off you. So because I've kept moving and um, working hard on my business, it hasn't probably hurt as much as it may have done if I hadn't have had these businesses in place. Now, Tommy, obviously, we've spoken about your businesses there, but the main reason behind us doing this interview is kind of to look back on some of the, the, the more joyful and maybe less joyful moments of your boxing career, but certainly moments that stick out. So take me back to the beginning and start off with kind of your route into the sport, Tommy. How did you first get involved in boxing? Um, my uncle Carl, Carl Heath, who's a bit of a tearaway kid, turned his life around through boxing. Uh, and football, through sport, basically. And um, he took me, I think he realised I was a kid that had plenty of negative energy around the house and I needed some sort of stimulant, some sort of discipline. And he took me down, well, no, he actually bought me, um, you remember, for instance, I was in the licence to thrill VHS. <laughs> well, he bought me one of those. And I remember watching and thinking, this is what I want to do, man. I want to fight. Uh, I think I wanted to do the flip into the ring, but I never quite mastered that. And uh, took me down to the gym, and I just fell in love with the sport. The first time I ever sparred, <laughs> I got put on my backside. I actually got knocked out of the ring, in fact. But I just loved it. I loved... I don't know. It was... I, I, I've tried explaining boxing uh, to, to some people how, how it affected me, and you know, like some people get stressed at work and they come home and they have a glass of wine. Well, boxing was like my glass of wine. You know, a fight, having, that, having a fight with that physicality, it just chilled me out. And that's what it did to me as a kid and I fell in love with it and I never looked back. Tommy, you mentioned Prince Nassim Hamid in, in the VHS video that you, you was given. Who was your boxing idols when you was growing up? Who were the guys who you kind of looked at and thought, I want to be like them. I know you can say Naz was one of them, but was there anyone else? My idol growing up was my dad. Um, sorry, my boys just walked through. I'm just doing a video call. and I've... You can have three ice pops, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Your friends, come through then and grab one. We'll be quiet. So, yeah, these, these are the kind of lockdown issues you have when you're trying to still work from home. Kids are coming through. Can I have one more ice pop? I think they've gathered as well that I, I will say yes when I'm on a call to anything. <laughs> but 
my dad was my hero growing up. Um, I don't know. I just I think it was I always wanted to impress him, and because um, my dad was quite a tough tough guy or a tough parent, I thought being a tough guy would impress him and get his attention. But Mike Tyson for me, um, one of the most ferocious and devastating punches I've seen, um, and I loved the the entertainment he brought to the ring. And yeah, he, he was probably my favourite fighter, but. As I got older, I fell in love with Vittorio Gatti and Mickey Ward. And those types of throwback fighters weren't necessarily... Well, you say necessarily weren't the best. Vittorio Gatti was a fantastic boxer, but he got drew into a fight. And I'm not saying I'm a fantastic boxer, but when I, when I chose to box, I can box probably more than I get credit for. But I just love a fight. And I think that's why I related to those types of guys. You mentioned Tyson there, and obviously there's been a lot coming out recently about himself, you know, Evander Holyfield, uh, James Tony, you know, a few of those other, you know, the legends of the sport are considering making a comeback. What's been your thoughts, Tommy, when you have seen that? Um, listen, it's not... How can I put this? If it was any other fire, I would say... You know, you have nothing to prove. You know, stay retired. You know, keep that legacy intact. But the thing about Mike Tyson is, and I spent four days with Mike Tyson in 1999 uh, when he was training for the Julius Francis fight um, in the Grosvenor House Hotel in London when Frank Warren was taking care of him. And I spent one full day with him in 2006 in Doncaster at Andy Booker's house. The thing about Mike Tyson is this. Mike Tyson has a lot of demons um, and I think he struggles with life. Uh, this is just what I get from his podcasts. He's up, he's down, he's not consistent in what he says and how he feels. And I think the only consistent thing in his life is boxing or has been boxing. So maybe boxing at this crazy age could be Mike's saviour. So if that's the case, Sorry. That's all right. Uh, lost me there. Oh, if that's the case, then you know what? I, I think Mike Tyson is the kind of guy that is happier fighting than he is living life. So if that's what makes him happy, then you know what? Good luck, Mike. I don't want to see him fight again because, you know, I want to remember Mike Tyson as that ferocious, you know, devastating puncher which he once was. And I don't, you know, nobody can do what they did at 50, what they did at 20. Um, I can't do what I did at 20 and I'm, I'm only 30. So I, I'd like, you know, just to think it was all social media and advertising or whatever. And I wouldn't like to see him back in the ring, but I would like to see Mike Tyson out because he was a big inspiration of mine. You mentioned two separate periods in your life where you had kind of one-on-one -on -one time with Mike. What was he like one-on-one? -on -one? So the second time I went to see him, I took my file from 1999 and he was like, wow, geez. He went, I remember this. He said, I was an animal. He said, look at me. Like it was only five years, six years later, but he was reflecting back on him, himself back then and how, how ferocious and how his mentality was. And he asked me about school. 
and I was expelled from school that year I went to see him, 2000 and, no, it was 2005, it was the year before the ABAs. And he said, how are you in school, son? And I couldn't wait to tell him that I'd been expelled. I thought it was cool. I, I, you know, I always wanted to show up and say, oh, I've been expelled like you was, Mike. You know, I'm like you. I'm a tough guy. And he went, listen, son, he went, it's not smart to be tough. It's tough to be smart. And I never, ever forgot it. And basically what he was saying is, he wants smart to be a tough guy, go out there fighting, you know, showing, you know, 30 people in your class how tough you are. It's actually tough to be smart and think, you know, I'm not going to do this because I'm going to get expelled from school. And if I get expelled from school, that's going to affect my grades. And my grades are going to affect my job. And my job's going to affect my career, which might affect my family one day. So, you know, there was sound advice, but I took on board at a very young age. And I tell a lot of the kids that I work with now, you know, it's not smart to be tough. It's tough to be smart. I do, you know, countless community work which at the minute we can't do and it's very sad just to move away from from that period as well back to yourself tommy um amateur days talk to me about your amateur career how did you find the amateur settle the amateur settle one for me i had a um i wasn't the greatest technician i referred to amateur boxing it just didn't do anything for me. It was, you know, point scoring, scoring points. And I, I just wanted to get in there and have a fight. And my style wasn't really suited to um, to amateur boxing. Sorry. Yes, son. Um, so, yeah, um, my amateur career, it was good. I won the ABAs. I won the NABCs. Um, I fought for England. But... I just loved having a fight and I knew that, you know, doing it for a living in front of a crowd that would shout your name and, you know, potentially get paid as well uh, was what I wanted to do because I had no GCSEs. It was making boxing or trying to make it in boxing or probably work on my dad's fruit and vegetable selling fruit and veg. And, and can I just add, there's nothing wrong with that. My dad's fruit and veg um, store provided a fantastic living for me and my three brothers as a young kid and I'm very very um, proud of my dad's achievement as a father When you did make that transition from amateur to professional how did you find it then? Um, I cried after my first professional emotional nervous I'd, I'd built you know, this guy up in my head who was just journeying with Christian Lay to be a monster um, but it was an amazing, it was an amazing emotion. It was an amazing experience, and um, I did transition very well. It was, it was what I knew, and that was entertaining. Did you feel a, a pressure um, on the early stages of your career? You mentioned you, know, you cried, you know, for that late fight. Did you feel the pressure as you progressed and you continued to pick up victories? I never felt the pressure. I just, I got nervous. Never, not because I'm getting hurt or anything like that. You know, that's never bothered me. But just about winning. I'm, I'm a winner. I want to win it at all costs. You know, I refuse to lose. And that's why I've always found a way to, to get up when I have been put down. Um, I was just so scared of losing. Um, yeah, but never really a pressure because 
I, I always was, I never went into a fight without being in fantastic co condition. If I got beat, I just got beat because I wasn't good enough. And, and that's acceptable. To get beat because you're not good enough is acceptable. But to get beat because you've not prepared or you've not put in the hard work or made the sacrifices, um, then, then that's not acceptable. Unfortunately, Tommy, there's a few defeats <laughs> I did just want to kind of reflect on before we come to the, the brighter moments and the wins of, of your career. Um, take me back to your first defeat to Gary Sykes. What was that like? How did you feel when you'd lost that fight? You know what? Um, I'm just going to put this phone on charge. On charge. Um, you, you know what? When, when I got beat to Gary Sykes, I'd had a, I'd had a terrible... Um, I had a terrible week lead up to the fight. I think I'd left a little bit too much weight and um making a win. Lost you, Tommy, I can't hear you. Tommy. One more. Uh, can you hear me now? Yeah, I can hear you, mate. Um yeah, well, I'll just I'll just ask that again. Um so I'm just obviously picking that back up there. You just had to put your phone on charge. Um, unfortunately, we do have to touch on some of those lesser enjoyable moments of your career, some of the defeats before we do come on to the victories that you were able to, to have. Take me back to your first defeat to Gary Sykes. What, what was kind of that experience like? How, how did you feel after it? It, it was a tough, a tough pill to swallow, as is, as is any loss. But it was only a three-round fight because um, it was in the prize fire. So it wasn't, you know, a, 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 you know, a full fight. It wasn't a landslide. It could have gone either way. I think, you know, Ricky and on the scorecards had said that I'd, I'd nick the fight. But, you know, in the build-up, I knew it wasn't a true reflection of my, my ability or my, my performance because I struggled with the weight in the lead-up because it was a short-notice job. And um, I think struggling to make the weight had obviously reduced my immune system and I'd, I picked up a little flu on the on the build-up so I didn't feel 100% going into the fight but you know what as a professional you're never 100% going into the fight I don't, I don't know many fighters what are 100% going into the fight so it was just it was just one of those things you know I had a job to do I had to deal with it and I went in there and I got beat um, but you know I'd prepared great for it I just just got beat on the night and as I just mentioned there, I'm okay with that if I've done everything that was asked of me in camp. So a couple of fights after that, you faced Derry Matthews where you unfortunately came up short in that bout. Again, Tommy, just kind of reflect on it for me. Yeah, it was tough losing to Derry because I'd boxed a great fight. But in hindsight, it was the best thing that could have ever happened to me. Because it was my first fight under Jamie Moore. So there was a new relationship there. We was learning together. We was learning a lot about each other. And what the Derry Matthews fight did for me was, was it kind of announced me to the, the Sky TV boxing fans. I put in a great performance. But I suffered a devastating knockout, which was a hell of a shot. Um, and it kind of prevented me from going into major fights immediately. It gave me the platform to, to stay on Sky and stay in, you know, good fights, learning fights. But it didn't, you know, 
send me into a fight as a Commonwealth champion, probably fighting the you know the best in the division. So it held me back, and it allowed me some time to you know bond with Jamie and Nigel, and become a better all-round fighter. We've all touched on. So, um, Sorry, mate. Carry on. No, I think it's just it's just a slight delayed response, but yeah, just delayed me from uh, and give me that time to, to to learn. We will touch on uh, your your special relationship with obviously Jamie and Nigel in a in a little while, but just to stick with your your career, final defeat up until Algeria that I wanted to touch on was the Luke Campbell fight. You know, two lads from Hall. I can imagine the the kind of a rivalry to show you as the best around the city back then. What was it like heading into that Campbell fight? Oh, it was amazing. It was the best. Like the Hall's never really had a rivalry like that. Um, you know, Warren, um, sorry, Warren Buffett. I've been watching his documentary, Michael Buffer. <laughs> Michael Buffer came to Hull. Like, who, who on earth would have thought Michael Buffer would, would come to Hull? You know, it was just amazing. Like, we, we kind of, we, we divided the city, though. And I think that's why, you know, dealing with the, the defeat was so tough for me because we had divided the city. There had to be a winner. There had to be a loser. You know, one lad happened to be from the west of the city. One lad happened to be from the east of the city. And, you know, on that occasion, I was the loser. So walking around the town after the fight, it was tough. Um, you know, although I, I gave it my best and I was just beaten by a much better fighter technically in Luke who's gone on to do great things and I think will continue to go on to do great things. But it was tough. It was real, real tough. And my, my son had just been born. Archie has been getting the ice pops in there. And uh, he'd just been born. And I didn't really want to be around too much. You know, I just I just wanted to escape. I was went away with lads and a few lads holidays. And for the first six months of... My boy Archie's life. Um, I wasn't too. I wasn't too familiar, and, and I really, really regret that because our bond was unbelievable. We're so close, but you know, it was tough. It was real, real tough. And without going into it too much, you know, I probably contemplated retiring after that fight because um, I'd, I'd got back into training. I'd got injured. And my body decided to break down. I took the humerus off my elbow, uh, sorry, the ligament off my humerus in my elbow. And it, it was just a dreadful time. And I've not got too many pleasant memories post fight with Campbell. Um, we'll obviously move away from those defeats now and on to some more happier times in your career, Tommy. Um, in particular, one fight which I actually watched it back a couple of weeks ago, the uh, Daniel Brizuela fight at the Hoist Arena. That, that is one which I don't think I'll ever forget. Obviously, both of you going down four times during the fight. I don't really think there's words that can sum up what, what about that was Tommy. Just kind of look back on that day and that experience being in the ring with him? I think growing up, uh, oh sorry, coming up, I used to run on the treadmill at Northfield Elf um, 
and I'd always take my iPod and I'd stick it on the ledge and I'd just watch, you know, old boxing fights. And I always watched the Gatti, Osorio um, Gatti and Ward trilogy. And I always used to think, do you know what? I'd love to be involved in a fight like that. And then, you know, it's probably not quite up there with a the Ward versus Gatti fight, but it was a hell of a fight. It was a fight where I learned a lot about myself. I had to dig, you know, very, very deep to, to, to win. And um, it kind of cemented my trademark. And that might be my downfall because sometimes I played up to the crowd and I made fights what could have been a lot easier, a whole lot harder. Because um, I felt like I had this expectation of being a, a warrior and all the words that get thrown around on social media. I felt like I had to kind of live up to that expectation. But it was a phenomenal fight. I loved every second of it. And I never forget there was a point in the fight where I got knocked down and I got hit with an unbelievable body shot. And I'm lay there on the canvas and I'm thinking, right. And it's amazing what can go through your head in 10 seconds, you know. It's like so much went through my head and I'm thinking, I've got to get up. Like, if I don't get up here, everything, like all these people will keep bringing me for interviews and taking pictures of me and selfies in town and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, can you sign gloves and send them out? All that's going to stop. And this is all I ever dreamed about as a kid. So get up and, and, and you know, wave him on. And uh, as the count got bigger, the crowd got louder. And it was just like an injection of adrenaline that come over me. And I got up, waved him on. And I think, I don't know if, you've, if you did watch it, I knocked him out simultaneously, like literally seconds after him knocking me out, I, I knocked him down. So it was a mad fight. It was a good fight. It's one... One I'll keep in the locker and show the kids when they're older. And yeah, them days are long gone now. <laughs> I've definitely watched it, Tommy. Because like, I was on the, I saw Sky put it out a couple of weeks ago, so I watched it back on there. Um, ah, right. <laughs> and another thought I wanted to reflect on you, Tommy, was the victory over Michael Katsidis. For you to, to be victorious in that fight, how much did that mean to you? unbelievable like I was scared to death for 12 weeks training for that fight I remember Eddie Earn offering me the fight at his barbecue in Essex his house where the new fight camp's gonna be and I was like wow the same dude what you know fought Manuel Marquez and beat you know Kevin Mitchell and been in there with Burns so I was like you know yeah I want that fight um, so we took it and if I'm totally honest I don't know if I ever believed I'd win. I was so scared of losing. Uh, but I trained like a beast. I trained so hard. And I think that's probably one of the best training camps I've had in terms of listening. However, three weeks before the fight, I fractured my ribs. So, I mean, going into that fight, I was in a mess three weeks before. I couldn't spar. Um, I was in a lot of pain. And without going into too much detail, I was in a lot of pain, which was relieved um, uh, before the fight um, because I'd put all numbing gels on my, you know, my body, like the Nurofen gel. So I know you can't put ointments on your, um, your body, like Vaseline or whatever, but I rubbed in a serious amounts of Nurofen gel to my ribs because I'd obviously fractured them. Uh, three weeks to the fight. And the thing was, when we got weighed in and we went face to face, 
I don't know if he was referring to other body shots that I'd gone down from before to Daniel Buzuela, or he had inside information that I'd broken my ribs. But he kind of tapped my ribs and he went, see you tomorrow night. And I was like, shit, this kid knows that I've got broken ribs. So to knock him out in round two was, although it was amazing, it was like a relief. It was a sigh of relief that the fight was over. I'd won and I'd not had to, you know, endure these broken ribs being smashed to bits by the, the Brit Basher. Those little mental games that boxers can have, and you mentioned it there with Michael and the little tap on your ribs he gave you. How key can they be in the build up to fights? In particular, when you look at, you know, you look now, Tyson Fury is considered one of the best when it comes to your kind of mind games and that. How key can those little things be in the build up to a fight? Well, it's about knowing your opponent and knowing whether, you know, knowing what buttons to press. Um, I'm quite a resilient guy, to be fair. So, it didn't have too much. There was no way. I, I would never, ever contemplate putting out the fight. I'd have gone in there with broken hands, broken ribs. Because this is not my style. I'm going in there. I've committed to a fight. You know, the other guy's prepared for it. I'm always going to turn up. So, it didn't really have an effect. But I can see how it may have done. You know, some people which aren't as mentally... My best attribute has been my mental strength. My, my best attribute is made up for the, the lack of probably ability I've, I've actually had. Um, but they can play a huge part, and Tyson Fury is a great example of it. Moving on and fast-forwarding with your career, I want to go into that kind of the little run you went on before you fought Chris Algieri and another fight being against Sean Dodge because I remember being at the press conference and neither of you wanted to say anything about each other in a negative way. You both just so respectful of each other. Something that we don't kind of see too much in boxing these days. What was it like going into a fight having such a respect for the other person? Well, at the end of the day, no matter how much you like somebody, when that bell's bell rings, the name of the game is to inflict as much pain on that other guy as possible and and get rid of him as quickly as you possibly can. So I knew that that will always be, you know, my first instinct. But at the same time, I understand some fights have got to be sold, but that fight didn't need to be sold. It won top of the bill. It was always going to be a good fight because the styles was always going to clash. And he's a good guy. You know, I respect him as a person. I respect him as a fighter where he's been, where he's come from, what he's gone through, what he's done. And um, I just thought, you know, showing the respect I've got and he deserves, get in there and, you know, let the best man win. But it was funny because I took that fight at Nine Stone Nine and I'd not fought at Nine Stone Nine since the Campbell fight. So um, we're actually releasing a, a documentary on this, but... Um, uh, the reason I was late to the Wayne's because I was so overweight. <laughs> I really screwed the weight up. I'd not screwed it up. I'd, I'd been disciplined, but making nine stone nine was not possible for me anymore. But I made it because I knew that opportunities weren't going to knock too many more times. I was, you know, at the back end of my career, and it was my only real opportunity of winning a major, you know, Commonwealth title. So I decided to take the fight at 9-9. But I remember Masha rang me about half two because I still wasn't there. The Wayne was at two. And he was like, where are you, lad? 
I was like, I'm on my way, we got lost, but I had been sweating my balls off trying to make the weight. And he's like, Oh, you're not struggling, are you, laugh? <laughs> and then, um, yeah, truth be known, I struggled to make the weight. But it was last chance saloon for me. And it was obviously the best victory of my career because it went on to set up, um, you know, two trips to America, which I sit now very often and just think about and would do anything to go back and, and live them moments again. We'll come to the final trip to America and what happened to be your final bout of your career now, Tommy, against Chris Algeria. I remember seeing you on the Monday at the kind of the, the welcoming drinks. Well, not drinks for you, but drinks for everybody else in attendance. Um, I remember it, yeah. yeah. What, what was kind of the experience like? You know, a lad from Hull, you, you just love to fight. You never really set out any goals at the beginning of your career. To end up being on the biggest card of the year, uh, what ended up being one of the biggest shocks in boxing for a number of years when Marie stopped AJ. What was that entire experience in that week or two like for you? It was just phenomenal in every single way. Like being over there with people I love and care about, um, you know, training at all these gyms you, you see on the TV and you follow on Instagram. It, and, and just like waking up and, you know, going for a Starbucks on Times Square and thinking, I'm out here working. Like, it was just mad, it, and, and I get goosebumps now speaking about it. Um, it was the best thing I'm, I've ever done in my life. And um, yeah, it just, I, I once spent a couple of nights in, a, in a, a police station called Queen's Gardens, and I remember thinking, I've gone from Queen's Gardens to Madison Square Gardens. And uh, it was a special, special trip and experience. I'm so lucky and, and so blessed, but at the same time, I worked damn hard. I worked so hard. Some people would have quit. I stayed on, I stayed in. And um, I try and tell every young kid that's got a dream that if they work hard, they make sacrifices and they persevere in times of adversity, like success is eventually inevitable. And uh, that's all I did. You know, the law of average says if you never quit and you refuse to lose and you can just keep going and keep going no matter what shit comes your way, then the law of average is eventually you're going to get lucky. And uh, I got lucky. And law of averages served up a treat. <laughs> Let's obviously touch on the fight now. And unfortunately, you wasn't successful. Chris stopping you, well, sorry, stopping you after Jamie um, stopping the fight in your corner, throwing in the towel. But what was that? What I remember at the time, you know, you was you was gutted and you was devastated that Jamie decided to pull you out of the fight. I know since then you've you've reflected. You said it was the right move, but in the moment, what was going through your mind? Well, I've always entered the ring thinking, you know, I will, you know, die for this. <laughs> as extreme as that may be, you know. That was my mentality, you know. I never ever wanted stopping. I wanted to go out on my shield. But you know what? It was the best call um, Jamie's ever made. Uh, he saved me for my children, and at the time, yeah. And 
you know, I didn't want to be stopped, but I'd, I'd been struggling for the last six months with my eyesight, with my eyes. I was um, getting a lot of double vision and uh, I'd mentioned it a few times, but I'd never said it was an issue. And um, I think Jamie had, you know, what I'd said on several occasions had lodged with Jamie. And I made, well, I say made the mistake. It's not a mistake, but I'd come back to the corner and said, Jay, I've got double vision again. And that was enough. That was all Jamie needed to hear from me. And, you know, there's more to life than boxing. You know, three beautiful children that need me, a wife that needs me. Um, and I want to see them grow up. I don't want to lose my eyesight. I want to see them change and evolve and become successful and be good citizens. So, although it was another tough pill to swallow, it was the best best call for, for my my life. I was always mindful that I wanted to get out of the game with all my faculties intact. Um, and Jamie has allowed me to do that. I've got out. Um, you know, I've got all my faculties intact. I can stay sharp in the boardroom, in the classroom, and stay sharp at home with the kids. So it was a great call. You mentioned to me at the beginning of the, the interview that a couple of months after that LG report, you kind of knew that you was going to retire, but it, t- it took you an extra six, seven, eight months until you made the official announcement. What was kind of your mindset during that period? I know you wouldn't have wanted to go out on the loss, but at the same time, it, you couldn't have asked for kind of a better occasion to have been a part of for your own career. What what was your mindset through that period when you was considering maybe having one more bout? I wasn't in a good place. Um, thankfully, I'm coming out of that dark place now um and again that's thanks to jamie moore being there you know to call uh, to cry to on the phone um but i i'm just writing my autobiography at the moment and um the first chapter is called something in my eye and it's the story about being sat i won't spoil the chapter but it's the story about being sat in my favorite cafe in Hull, and i just burst out crying and I knew that it was over. I'd um, received some, you know, news and advice from the doctors, and I, I just broke down. And the first thing I did was call Jamie, and um, he talked to me through it. He helped me through it. Told me about how he felt when he could come to terms with the fact that he was going to have to retire. And you know. Although I knew there and then that I had to retire, I didn't announce it until eight months later because I had about four or five comebacks in my head, you know, in that in that time frame, you know, I was gonna get my eyes fixed, I was gonna have the operation, I was gonna I was gonna, you know, get back train, I was gonna have a comeback fight, or I was gonna, you know, have one last dance in hole, so to speak. And uh I just I thought about my children, if I'm honest. I thought, you know, how selfish would it be of me to, you know, risk my life for my health when I've got three children what need me more? They don't care whether I'm a fire or, you know, they they, they, they love me just for being their dad. You know, I'm bringing lollipops in from work every night. <laughs> so, 
it was tough, mate. It's the toughest thing I've ever had to do in my life. But, you know, my my wife was amazing. She supported me. Um, all the lads in the gym, you know, rallied around me. Jamie and Nigel, which is brilliant. Sad thing as well, some people went missing. You know, when 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 people think you're out or you're, you're down, um, if they don't love you, and they love what you bring to the table or you bring to to their life, they go missing when they when it's no longer there. And there was certain people what went missing um, because deep down they probably didn't care about me. But the ones that matter, they're still here. And as we said at the start of the interview, Jamie Moore drove 150 miles the other night on a rainy Wednesday night to drop me a retirement present off. He knows how much of a huge Rocky fan I am. And, you know, I didn't even know. I just went to the door and there he is, stood with his, you know, ring magazine belt and a signed bill from Sylvester Stallone. And, like, I don't bring anything to Jamie's life anymore. I don't. There's no, I can't do anything for Jamie at all. But he still cares. He's still there. He still rings me. He still checks in, so invites me to the gym. I'm going running with them all tomorrow in, in Manchester. Like, that, that shows how a good person he is and how much of a good person Nigel is and the lads in the gym. And that, that's what matters. Everybody's going to have to retire one day. Um, it's about retiring at the right time and getting out of all your faculties intact so you can continue to do good things. And I'm just going to focus now on my children, my family, and the next generation of young fighters, young citizens in my community, which has supported me not just in victory, but in defeat as well, have stayed loyal to me. I've got tremendous support here in Hull. Yeah. Tommy, I obviously, I obviously haven't had... Well, not had the chance, but I just haven't brought it up yet. You know, your special relationship with Jamie. And obviously, you've mentioned Nigel as well. Just talk to me about it. Why is it that you feel about yourself, Jamie and Nigel, get on so well? And what, why do you have such a special relationship that's evident for everybody to see you over social media, if it's to see you all in person? Um, because, because they care. Like, and they get me. The reason why they're good leaders, um, Nigel and Jamie, is because they know they're students. And Jamie and Nigel, like, I hate being away from my, my home. I hate being away from my dad and my mom. And I hate being away from, you know, my kids and the wife. And I don't like staying over in Manchester. And they tried drilling it into me for, you know, the best part of a couple of years when we first started working together. Like, I needed to stay down there in a hotel. And I needed to, you know, be getting eight hours sleep and, you know, under you know strict, strict rules but I was driving home in the middle of the night getting in bed with you know the kids and, and the missus for a few hours and driving back to Manchester just so I could get to see them and they understood that when I'm happy I'm a much better fighter so they give me the leeway I needed to be happy and that made me a better fighter and they just Jamie's not a boxing trainer, he's a life coach. And there was times before I had children and all the rest of it when you know I was maybe 
maybe the ball, um, not, not, not against me, but you know, maybe I started to um, get a little bit carried away with myself. And he would just tell me straight, you're being a dick. Stop being a dick. And because he said that to me, it was like, wow, my mate thinks I'm being a dick. And like, he just, he always had a way of bringing me back down to earth or keeping me grounded. And um, I think because he's been through it and retired and he's content and he's a great family man. And if I could be like anybody when I retired, now I am retired, I don't want to be like Jamie, I really would. He's content, he knows about the higher purpose for life and doing good for nothing in return. He knows about giving is far better than receiving, and um, we're just we're just in sync, man. He's he's the best. Uh, Tommy, another personal way to get your thoughts on your a relationship you have is with Eddie Hearn. We we all continue to see this video of you pulling down his trousers <laughs> <laughs> in America. I'm sure he brings a smile to the face of many whenever they see it, but. What, what's Eddie like to not just work with, but on a personal level? Because we all hear stories about how he treats his fighters and the brilliant relationships he has across the board. What was he like with you? Eddie is a good man, let me tell you. Um, he's, a, he's a great businessman. He's a better talker. He's a great salesman. If you ever needed a job, I'd gladly give him one on the fruit store. Um, he, he's a good guy. He give me so many opportunities. He give me many more opportunities than my ability should have allowed me. But I was entertaining, and he saw value in that. And um, yeah, I owe him a real lot. And I'm so happy he didn't sack me after I pulled his kegs down. Because <laughs> <laughs> if he had sacked me, I'd have never got to Madison Square Garden. Listen, people. People, you know, slag Eddie and say, oh, he's this, he's that. But I can honestly tell you, he's a fair man. He pays his fighters. He pays as well. He pays on time. Because <laughs> there's many people out there which say they're getting something and it never turns up. I've never had an issue. It, do you know what? I used to sell that many tickets. He used to tell me to pay myself. <laughs> you know, so um, I've got... A whole lot of respect for Eddie and I thank him so much for the opportunities he's gave me. He's enhanced my life. He's enhanced, you know, thousands of other kids' lives in this city where I live because of because of him enhancing mine. So, you know, I've continued to, to send the elevator back down for the next generation because he sent it back down for me. Tommy, how nervous were you when you pulled down his kegs? Do you know what? <laughs> I, I wasn't actually that nervous because I was probably in a place back then where I just thought I was just about to fight in Boston. I was about, I always knew retirement was just around the corner. So I thought, oh, fuck it. Like, if, you, if I pull his kick down and I don't fight for him again, I'm in Boston, man. I'm in America. I fought in America. If this is the last one, so be it. This is the last one. But it, it probably the best thing ever because it went viral. And he had the big ass, like he had no kegs on and his ass just completely took over the camera but he took it so well and, and that just goes to show if he was a serious guy and he took himself real serious like some people say he does, he despised dummy out over that, he didn't, he took it on the chin 
And um, fair play to him. We got Frank Smith as well, you know, in front of um, in front of Freddie Roach. And Freddie Roach <laughs> start laughing. <laughs> we got everybody. We, we we got Nige Travis on the underground subway, called it underground underpants. Um, we was burning everybody in the hotel with a teaspoon on the backs of the necks and their arms and running off. We just had a laugh, you know, like the past three years of my life has just been fun. Like, the, yeah, just, just being a laugh. It's just being a band. And um, the boxing was just a nice, a nice addition. Tell me, um, just to move away from yourself, I wanted to kind of get your thoughts on a few other things in the boxing world. And just to stick with the Jamie Moore gym, there's obviously a, a great deal in the depth of fighters there. Um, first and foremost, so we saw Dave Allen recently link up with Jamie. What are your thoughts on, on their partnership or their, their new partnership, I should say? I don't know Dave too well. Um, but I know he's got a ton of potential because um, I've seen him in action. Um, and I don't think he's fulfilled his potential yet either. And I genuinely, genuinely think Jamie Moore's the man to unlock it. And not just Jamie Moore and Nigel, but the gym too. Because the gym's, the gym's like a theme park. The gym's like a playground. And it's fun. It's not like going to the gym. It's not like going training. I'll be honest with you right now. I've contemplated unfollowing Jamie and Nigel and Carl and everybody because I just see how good the gym is and I sit there jealous. Like, I sit there thinking and wishing. I said to my wife last night, I said, you know what? I said, I want to unfollow the lads, but I can't do that. I said, because it kills me watching how much fun they're having in the gym and watching them train and stuff. She says, well, just go down there. But yeah, I think Jamie's the man for the job with Dave, both him and Nigel. and. They'll get the best out of him because he'll have fun. He'll, he'll enjoy it and it's just a laugh. You know what? Carl Frampton's a bastard, right? <laughs> I, exting I, I fire extinguished Carl on the first day he come to the gym just for banner. <laughs> I just thought, you know what? Fuck it. He's a superstar, yeah? I love watching fight. But I'm, he, was doing a, he was doing an interview on television and, I, and the cameraman's there and he's interviewing him and I thought, I'm just going to fire extinguish him mid-interview. Mid so I went over to him and blasted him. The cameraman was furious, absolutely furious. So Carl said to me, the night he takes me and he says, Tommy, he says, I dare you to fire extinguish Dave Allen. I says, oh, I don't know about that. I said, Jamie was fucking raging last time I did that. I said, Jamie will go mad. I says, he went, no, he says, I've squared you for Jamie. Jamie says it's fine as long as you clear it up. So I said, all right, no problem. But I text Jamie just to make sure because Jamie can be an angry bastard when he wants. Like, you don't piss Jamie off. Like, him and Martin Murray are two people you do not piss off. And uh, I text him and I said, Jay, you said it's all right for me to fire extinguish Carl Allen. He went, have I fuck said it's all right for you to fire extinguish Dave Allen? He said he's barely been in the gym a week. He says, don't you go fucking this up. He says, and it makes a mess everywhere. He says, I'll tell that Carl Frampton. So the gym is just a big joke, honestly. 
I, I actually did an interview with um, Stephen Ward probably about three weeks ago. Stephen said that there's an initiation that fighters have to do, something involving a duck, I believe it was. Uh, can you fill us in on that, Tommy? Can you tell us what the initiation is? So, <laughs> I had to chase a duck. Uh, no, no. Hang on. What, what do you mean? So you... Um, I, might be, I might be getting this confused. I had to once chase a chicken. Um, in the gym and they told me that they couldn't get any chickens so they'd got a swan and, I, and I'm scared of swans so but it was all a big joke and anyways when I turned up there was a chicken but the, the initiation I thought was singing you had to do a song for 60 seconds and um, put it in the group chat within an hour of being uh, put in the group chat the group the gym group chat and if you don't then you get kicked out of it until you've done your initiation but the, the duck one must be a new one i must have missed this oh so Stephen never told me what exactly he was he just said that there was an initiation with a duck so i was hoping you could fill us in on it no i thought the initiation process was you have to upload a, a song i've actually got dave allen's and um danny danny morell's and it's quite good to be fair. It's just a great place to be. Um, Tommy, another man, I do want to get your thoughts on, you briefly mentioned him there, Carl Frampton. Carl, obviously, he's eager to become a free-weight world champion, waiting to see if he can get the Jamal Heron fight over the line. Obviously, we've got travel restrictions with everything that's going on in the world at the minute. But when you see Carl in the gym and you still speak to him now, what are your thoughts if he was to go and face Jamal Herring in the big to become a three-weight world champion? I'll say this before I start. I owe the Indian summer in my career to Carl Frampton because I'd sparred with him once and he said to me, he says, Tommy, he says, you can box like fuck, you know. I says, well, really? He says, he says yeah, he says, I didn't think you could box like that. He said, why don't you do that in a fight instead? I says, yeah, you know, I said, I might try boxing. Like, and um, he gave me this great confidence. And I went into the Masha Dodd fight boxing and I ended up winning. And we've we've become real good mates. We have, we've become real close. We, you know, we speak, you know, most weeks. Um, he's become a good friend and, uh, you know, I've, I value his friendship a lot. I think Carl will become a three-weight world champion simply because of what I just spoke about. How much fun he has in the gym. Carl used to hate training. He told me that. And I think that was because of the people he trained with. And he had all these leeches and, you know, rats around him. Um, he's in a good place now. He's in a gym with people what love him, what care about him. Um, and, you know... I think because he's having so much fun and enjoying his boxing. Carl's a freak. His boxing IQ's a joke, honestly. Um, and I honestly believe he'll beat that Jamal Herring. I do. I think he'll go on to be a winner, a free, be a three-weight world champion. And I'd love to see him then retire at the top, you know, go out, you know, as a world champion like he rightly deserves to. 
I know there's a number of guys in the gym who we could touch on, but unfortunately, Tommy, if I was to, I think we would be here for a lot longer than what we both thought. But the final man in the gym I wanted to get your thoughts on is um, Martin Murray. Martin said by his own admission he's possibly got a couple more fights in him before he hangs up his gloves himself. What are your thoughts on, on Martin's career and his, his kind of gradual process and move towards what will be retirement? You know what? Martin Murray, what a good man. Like he loves his kids and his wife to death. And I love that. So first and foremost, he is like family man goals. Like you want to be a family man, he's the man to look at. Um, and in terms of his career, he's been in there with them all. You know, should have won a world title in my opinion. You know, he's been there with Golovkin, Martinez. Like, you know, what a career he's had and to still... You know, have the the ambition to to continue fighting at his age is fantastic. Um, <laughs> my Murray's a scary dude, by the way, a very very scary dude. I thought he was gonna fill me in once in Belfast. <laughs> I, I I think the lad set me up and told me that his room was Nigel Travis's room, and I had a bucket of water that I was gonna throw over Nigel Travis. But when I knocked on the door, Martin Murray answered, but I'd already threw the bucket of water. And uh, I absolutely drenched him, and he lost his shit. <laughs> like, he said, you fucked it now, Tommy, lad. And I thought, I thought I'm getting filled in today. <laughs> um, Tommy, just to move away from the gym, a few more things or a few more fights. I just want to get your thoughts on before I do leave you to enjoy the rest of your day. Um, obviously... You mentioned uh, Eddie Hearn's matchroom shows that are going to be put on in the back, back, back garden of Matchroom HQ. What are your thoughts on that proposal? And obviously, behind closed door shows returning. Well, I think it's a great initiative. And, you know, his innovation has been fantastic. Thinking outside the box. Um, and giving the fight fans what they want, but not just the fight fans, the fighters as well. Because to a lot of fighters, this is how they are living. If they can't get in the ring, then they can't earn a living. So, fair play to him. Um, I think it's a great initiative. Um, and I'm looking forward to the bit of boxing being back on the box. So, you know, I'll be subscribing or, or tuning in. And I, I'm excited for it. The fight which I want to get your thoughts on, Tommy, is um, obviously last week it came out that Anthony Joshua and Tyson Fury had agreed terms, uh, agreed financial terms in principle for a two-fight deal in 2021. What was your thoughts when you heard the news, Tommy? I thought it was great business. And I believe, you know, the man who's put it together, Daniel Kinahan, is a very, very good businessman. Um, so, you know, fair play to Daniel for getting that fight over the line. And fair play to the guys uh, for agreeing the fight. You know, the best fighting the best, giving the fans the fights they want to see, which sometimes never get made because of egos or finances. Final fight, I want to get your thoughts on Tommy. Is um, Dillian White. Dillian's at the minute, you know, he's come out, he's, he's, he's going to take legal action against the WBC for his mandatory position. But away from that, there's been talks about a potential cross-sport clash with Francis Ngannou of the UFC. 
Would you be interested to see Dillian White versus Francis Ngannou in either the UFC or in boxing? 100%. I'd be interested in seeing Dillian White go bowling because he <laughs> always brings drama. Um, I've been on a few cards with uh, Dillian White back in the days of final whole City Hall when he was just coming through. He fought on the undercard of my fight with Luke Campbell. Like He should have had a world title or a couple of world title shots by now. I feel sorry for him. He's definitely, definitely having his nose pushed out for whatever reason. Um, and he's definitely got the ability to become... I'll tell you a funny story about Dillian White. I was fighting in, um, in, in Manchester one night and I'd seen him in the hotel and I said, I'm going to go pictures. He said, oh, he said, I've just got back. I said, oh, yeah. He said, what did you go see? He said, safe ones. I can't remember the film went to see. I said, oh, yeah, that's what we're going to see. He said, oh, he's brilliant. He went, he's the best film ever. But I was on an hour and I wanted to go and see another film. So I went to see it because he recommended it. The next morning, I said, hey, dear. I said, that film was shite. He went, yeah, I know it is, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> So I said, you told me it was brilliant. He said, yeah, I know. So he's got a good banter. He's got a good banter. Um, Tommy, before I do leave you to enjoy the rest of your day, what would you like to say to everyone who tunes in to watch our interview? Oh, listen, to all the boxing fans out there who have supported me, um, thanks so much. Like, i never forget the reception I got when I fought at Madison Square Garden uh, the way and it was... It's a memory I'll cherish forever. Um, so, yeah, thank you ever so much. And thanks for listening. Thanks to Boxing Social as well for caring and checking in with me, you know, post-retirement. And, you know, yeah, it's, it's, it's nice to talk boxing. You know, I've not been talking boxing for, for some, some while now. So it's nice to, to be still involved. Tommy, listen, we can 100% do this again in the near future. We certainly won't forget you. I'm sure you've got many, many more stories that everybody would love to hear. It's been a pleasure to catch up with you. I'm appreciative of the time you've given. I know I said we'd be 20 minutes. It's ended up being an hour long. <laughs> but it's been a pleasure, Tommy. Stay safe. I hope you and your family are well, and I'll speak to you soon. Thank you for speaking to Boxing Social. Thank you, mate. Thank you. All the best. Cheers. Bye. <laughs>